This is episode 13 with swimming champion Michael Klim. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Really bumper episode today. One of swimming's greats, Michael Klim, joining me on the show. Michael, when I was growing up, was an absolute legend. He won six Olympic medals, two gold medals, three silvers, and a bronze. An incredible career. Really longevity. He went to three Olympic Games. You know, he suffered injuries at the end of his career that really set him back, but I'm really impressed with everything that he's doing now in his entrepreneurial world. He's doing great things with his Milk Milk & Co. company and also doing a a few things with mentoring with his Chosen Experience program, amongst other things. He's really keeping busy these days, which I'm really impressed with. Before I get Michael on the show, a big thank you for everyone tuning in and subscribing on iTunes on Stitcher. If you haven't yet, please leave me a five-star review and make sure you check out some of our other episodes. We've had a bit of an Olympian feel lately with the likes of Natalie Cook, Jackie Cooper, but uh, the stars will continue to roll in. Next couple of shows, we've got a more of a soccer feel. We've got Paul Wade and Kaya Simon actually joining me. So some more great episodes ahead. So stay tuned, but in the meantime, let's get to our episode with the champ, Michael Klim. My special guest is Michael Klim. Michael is a legend of the swimming pool, having competed in three Olympic Games, which includes two gold medals, three silvers, and a bronze. He was a world champion and world record holder, and has now continued this with an impressive transition into the entrepreneurial world with his highly successful Milk & Co., amongst a host of accomplishments since leaving the pool. I welcome Michael Clem. Michael, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. It is an absolute pleasure, Mike. Let's start with Milk & Co. I know you've been working pretty hard on a couple of major projects coming up. So let's start with a quick update. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, and obviously, Milk & Co. has been my focus for the last, you know, it's actually quite quite ironic to think that the brand's been around for nine years and we've evolved from, you know, purely initially just a men's offer. We now have women's babies, uh, some amenities and also a small nutritional range as well. But uh, we've just recently rebranded the Milk Men's line to be called Clint. And also, we're about to launch our second fragrance at Father's Day through Chemist Warehouse. So that's been keeping our our focus and uh, making a successful launch of our second fragrance. And also, we're going through a small rebrand for our baby line, which has been actually very successful. It's actually uh, the biggest part of our business, but um, we uh, we have got some really exciting news with a more aggressive push and launch into the Asian China market by the end of the year. So we've got some 
interesting rebranding activities happening and that's kind of been keeping us very busy. But the business has progressed nicely. We're available in about 16 different countries at the moment um, and it's uh, going from strength to strength. Mike, the name Milk, it seems it might have been easy to select the name, but what exactly was the process in selecting your name? Oh, to be honest, obviously, you know, I knew that Clem was always milk backwards and um, I knew that it lent itself to a pretty good brand name. Um, it is a, a, and you know, when I initially was looking into creating milk, I, uh, I, I didn't know if it was going to be, <laughs> I wanted to create my own brand. I didn't know yeah. if it was going to be grooming or skincare. I initially actually thought it might be more fashion related or sportswear related. Um, but it's funny, you know, obviously life had takes its turn along the way and I've sort of obviously landed in the, in the grooming space. But, um, with grooming, obviously milk had a really great connotation being pure, being natural, being white, being, you know, being what nature gives us. So, um, it really sort of, uh, it worked well for that project and we've been able to develop that. But, you know, it's funny enough, it's kind of a pretty simple marketing. Um, you know, exercise, but it's it's interesting that a lot of males that have been they were using the Milk and Co brand prior to it being called Clem, they didn't actually know that it was Clem backwards. So yeah. even with a quite quite aggressive sort of you know educational sort of PR campaign, um, we still ended up you know reverting back to Clem, um, obviously trying to get that local connection through myself. Yeah, with milk and with you targeting men in specific, what age group are you, you targeting? Oh, so the the range is pretty much we call it the skin fitness range. So we don't really try and pride ourselves on being uh, experts at anti aging or experts at uh, you know beauty, for example. So for us, it's really it's about the everyday essential products. So from your from your body wash to your deodorants, your moisturizer, we do shaving gels, sunscreen. So really products are functional, they're pretty easy to use. Most of them have got dual functions. So if we've got a moisturizing sunscreen or, or a hydrating body wash or so really to minimize the steps in the bathroom. So our, our bullseye demographic is probably the male between sort of 30 to 34, but it stretches right across from 16 up to, you know, late 50s and even early 60s. We do have a sports sunscreen, a 50-plus dry touch, ideal for golfers, sailors, you know, easy absorbent. So um, being a being a very sort of sports outdoor-focused brand, um, our demographic is very broad. Now, Klimi, I'm 34 and I fit your demographic. So... I spend a lot of time outdoors, so if you can re- recommend me one thing, what would that be? Look, I think every you know, I think every guy would need uh, in his bathroom would be a moisturizer with an SPF factor in it. So, one of our best selling SKUs is a face moisturizer sunscreen with an SPF 15 in it, and it's uh, it's it should be an everyday staple. So you you know you finish if you do hop out of the shower and. Um, and obviously that last step, you know, just it's, it's very simple. Whack on some moisturizer with a bit of SPF, gives you the nourishment and also protection from the USB, UVA and UVB rays. Mate, you spoke about expansion into 16 countries. Have you had a chance to think about the vision for milk moving forward? Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we've grown 
quite well, but also within our means and also we've been restricted to a few things, resources, cash flow. So we, we have had to prioritise and um, our vision is, you know, we have to grow and develop on our heritage and go where the heritage is the strongest. So obviously, you know, we've, we've, we've had some exciting news. We've got a new uh, partner within our business that mm-hmm. um, has got some great background into the Chinese market. So we will be focusing on that. And also with their existing one-child policy, um, you know, mums or the, the Chinese parents tend to spend a lot more money on, on, them, on, on their own kids. And especially with the Australian heritage of products and the great reputation that we have, um, we, look, we look towards China and the Asian market for, for those baby ranges doing quite well, or our baby range. So... That's kind of been a focus for a company as a strategy with the men's or clean line. Uh, we sort of look at really where, where the cultures are similar in terms of, you know, activity or everyday activity and also sports. So, um, right from, you know, the UK to the US and also, um, obviously New Zealand countries where, you know, people are very active and outdoorsy. So it varies per, per segment and also per, you know, per market. Growth's been pretty impressive, mate. In terms of business and going into entrepreneurship, did you have any major influences in that space? But probably initially, would I'd have to say would have had to be my 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 dad. My dad is from a trade background. He's uh, was involved in export and import. Um, he was exporting. Uh, he we came out. I'm a Polish migrant. I came out yeah. to Australia when I was eleven. Um, and he kind of got me into business itself. I was, you know, first we started the sim school, then, um, you know, played around with a little bit of property development. And then, but the opportunity came up to, to start my own skincare brand and he did have a little bit of help and I had some help and influence from him. So, um, he would have been my first, I guess, mentor. But then within the, um, within that business space, you know, there's been a lot of people that I've always, Look, look up to and have asked for advice and not necessarily, you know, when we talk about, let's say, you know, Richard Branson's of the world, but people actually within my circle that have been able mm-hmm. to create successful businesses and um, and being able to, you know, t- talk to me, you know, through their, through their learning. Yeah, exactly. How important was that continual evolution and continuing to learn from different people? Oh, that's, hey, look, to be honest, it's it's uh, it's key because you, you never, I don't think you can ever sort of um, re- rest on your laurels and it's you continue. There's always challenge, challenges that arise on a daily basis and you think you've got something sorted and, you know, there's always some great news and there's always some disappointing news. You know, we're playing challenging spaces and there's always, you know, as part of my you know, the pillars for my business is, um, you know, I talk about uh, evolution or revolution. So you have to, as a brand, you always have to continually evolve and, you know, get with the times if it's, you know, the way you market or the way you, you know, you, the ingredients you use. So it's that, that constant evolution is really, really important. So it's, and, and I think that, you know, comes hand in hand with, you know, seeking advice and learning about your own brand and other people's brands as well. So, that that quest for knowledge is uh, is ongoing, so I think it's it's been crucial. In terms of competitors in your space, Mike, who would you say were your major competitors? Obviously, we play in, in a very a very competitive space across the board. 
with women's skincare. I won't even mention them. We're, obviously, our products being being natural and, and being Australian made, there's a, there's a bunch of products that we <laughs> probably yeah. ten times more competitors than there are in the women's space. So, um, but I guess we have a unique selling point that we are Australian made, we are natural. Uh, and we are still very accessible. So there is this, you know, from your Neutrogenas to your, to your Dr. Lewins in the women's space, right through to, and then men's, you know, we are quite, um, lucky in a sense that there aren't too many Aussie skincare brands for men within the grocery sector. So we are unfortunately up against the big fellas, your L'Oreal's, your Nivea's. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we do have Bulldog, which is a UK brand, but, um, you know, we'll probably be one of a few Aussie brands in that space, which kind of sets us apart a little bit. And in terms of baby, you know, it's, it's always uh, very, very competitive, but you've obviously got Sukin, you've got Gaia, Thank You is another one, Cetaphil is another one. So there's some really successful brands that have been established and, and doing quite well. So... Um, it is definitely very challenging. In terms of going from the swimming pool to the business world, have you had any major struggles? I don't know if it's been a struggle, but I guess initially just learning about... I mean, I never had tertiary education, so I sort of... I had an A4 business plan pretty much, <laughs> just a business plan on one bit of paper. And, um, and you know, once I decided that I was going to take kind of the punt, I take the plunge into the business world, I sort of... Uh, I rolled up my sleeves and, and got stuck into it. But the challenge would initially was probably being the lack of knowledge I had about different aspects of of business and probably the biggest one would be financials. Um, not really managing my cash flow, not really managing my cash and, and sometimes probably wasting it and, and so that's been probably a challenge in making some of those costly mistakes. Yeah. Um and the other challenge I guess, you know, it's it's, it's a different mindset. You Obviously, in sport, I had a great team working with me and for me almost, and but ultimately, I was the one who had to stand up on the blocks and deliver the performance. I think in business, it's much more collective. You've got people that are equally as important as to to the performance of the brand, from you know from operations right to uh, <laughs> to finance to you know our marketing, etc. So, I think you know I think the load is, is spread. But yeah. with that, there's the challenges. There are different variables, um, and a lot of the time, it's out of your control, which makes it a little bit tricky. Clemmy, how do you split your time between Bali and Melbourne? Look, I um, recently decided to make the decision that uh, I will commute, and my kids live in Bali, and the business is obviously based in Melbourne. So it, it, came, it comes back to that team, you know, and I've been able to to build a team of about 14 people strong. It's not massive, but it is a team that nowadays, you know, I do feel I've got almost experts in every field that really support me really well. And and this day and age with, you know, with FaceTime and Skype and all these, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, perhaps I'm not uh, physically present in the office, but, um, you know, I think I'm still being quite, quite productive and effective. So, you know, spending about 50, 50% of my time in Australia and 50 overseas. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Michael Klim. If you haven't yet, please check out some of our other shows with the likes of Natalie Cook, Mark Ocalupo, Robbie Madison. We've had Mark Hunt on, Paul the Chief Harrigan. So go back visit www.talkingwithtk.com to check out all the episodes or please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher 
and please leave me a five-star review. Now back to the show. Yeah, technology has definitely changed the game. You must have be very proud of everything you have achieved. You know, you did mention you now have staff of 14 people and your pretty bi- your big expansion. Oh, look, it's definitely on reflection. It, it's, uh, it's very rewarding, and sometimes I do take it for granted when I see the brand on on the shelves and or when people come up to me and say that they've, they're, you know, their brand is either like, you're, you know, you, you've, you've been kind enough to pass on some really positive feedback. And when, when people do resonate with your product and they kind of stick by it and um, initially, you know, I've always wanted to create, uh, I guess, a product for the Aussie household. And, and, you know, there are almost like a country road and all you know, <laughs> brands that brands that people kind of, you know, that's Australian made or sports craft or brands that have grown within our homes for many, many years. And uh, and I and I imagine that well not imagine this is ultimately my goal. So it's nice to get that recognition when it comes around. Clooney, I'm gonna take you back to your childhood. You were born in Poland, you grew up and learnt to swim in India. Now, you said you moved here when you were 11. What exactly did you sound like? What I sounded like, I'm not quite sure. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, being being young and, you know, you're very adaptive. And I think, you know, I've been lucky to just slot it. You know what, for me, swimming was always the constant, the comfortable space so that I could always, you know, feel like I was at home. So, I, you know, actually, I, I signed up to the Mel Vixen the Swimming Club before I actually even uh, enrolled at, at school. So, you know, swimming for me was the constant that remained the same throughout all my travels. So I didn't, uh, um, yeah, so kind of uh, that, that remained my focus. You moved to the AIS when you were only 16 years old. How long did it take for everyone in Australia to embrace Michael Klim? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, look, I, I guess I did make the decision at the age of 16 to move away from home and head up uh, the, the highway up to Canberra from Melbourne. And, you know, I was living, living, you know, in dormitory environment, which for me felt like, you know, felt like quite fun and enjoyable. But, you know, I was thrusted in a very professional and high-performance environment, which out of school, I actually didn't know how to properly manage and I didn't know how to utilize a lot of resources that were provided mm. to me. And it took me probably a couple of years until I was able to win the national title to qualify for Atlanta. Um, Atlanta wasn't a great experience. I missed out on some individual finals, but I did learn some valuable lessons and was able to turn it around. And by 98, I, I became a world world record holder, world champion, four-time world champion. And I think that, that year, and also one you know, seven medals at Commonwealth Games, and that kind of that year kind of put me on the map in the world of swimming. Um, I won the Swimmer of the Year for for everybody collectively. So I think that was probably the year that put me on the map for sure. In 1996, you went to the Atlanta Games, ranked number one in the world. You did face some major adversity when you didn't reach the finals. Now, in hindsight, now you have a chance to think about it. Was that a moment where you were able to grow into what you became in 1998? Yeah, look, um, obviously, uh, you know, you never really want to experience disappointment. But, if, you know, I think that it, it is a bit of a cliche that all our uh, key learnings and our life lessons are unfortunately sometimes experienced through some tough times. And, 
you know, I, I did, for me initially it was that mental approach. You know, I, I was quite nervous. I was overawed. I didn't stick to my race plan. I wanted to change my psyche. And I, and I, and I embarked on this new mission of doing 150 races in a calendar year, which, you know, I basically wanted that my, my approach to be automatic and not to overthink my races. I changed my technique. I, I was training with Alexander Popov, so I thought, oh, I better swim like him as well. But obviously, you know, I wasn't six foot eight. I didn't have a almost, you know, six foot nine uh, wingspan, etc. So I, um, you know, I ended up finding my own stroke. You know, I started swimming with straight arms. So for, for some of those swimming fans out there, I was one of the first people in the world to start doing that. Worked with Speedo with, on developing a specific suit for my body type to help me with my kind of athletic kind of approach to, to, to my freestyle technique. And, you know, just started being more resourceful um, and very, very driven. <laughs> and I think, um, not to say I wasn't beforehand, but I had that, that kind of a little bit of a goal of redemption in, my, in the back of my mind. So, you know, obviously I would have loved to have won gold and beaten Daniel Loder to win it. But, um, you know, I think if I didn't experience that, that setback, I probably wouldn't have became the world record holder and the world champion and, and then Olympic champion in the following few years. You know, you came through an age where you had the likes of Jeff Ugal, Susie O'Neill, Kieran Perkins, Sam Riley, Liesl Jones, the names go on, just a host of champions. Do you think that really contributed to your success? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, I, must, I must probably... I you know, thank them all for for being around because you know we kind of we didn't have a team captain we almost you didn't have a team policy we had you know like a bunch of champions just you know everyone was uh, working the bus off and the majority was all in the lead up to Sydney and maybe just a few years after so everyone would lead by example and uh, it was kind of a you know it was just there was so many successful swimmers you know from Liesl Jones to like you said obviously. Grant Hackett, Ian Thorpe, Susie O'Neill, Kieran Perkins, Sam Riley, you know, it's just the list went on. The list so is it's awesome. like, you know, when, when you're rubbing shoulders with these, you know, great athletes on a daily basis, that's sort of, um, you know, it's kind of the first year that we've ever had in modern swimming um, ever that we've had such a successful team. So, um, you know, those guys, when you see your mates achieving these great things, it makes you think, oh, well, hang on, I've trained with him, I've... You know, I'm pretty, you know, I'm almost, as, you know, as quick as this guy. I can probably do just as well. So um, it just created a lot of belief amongst the team. Did you ever share any of the secrets between each other? Oh, look, I think there's always a lot of banter, and especially because we spend quite a bit of time traveling here and there. So there was always there was always ongoing banter between swimmers. <laughs> and I don't know if there was, you know, we, we kind of knew some of the other swimmers' weaknesses and strengths and stuff. Yeah. So, there was a bit of support. There's always those, you know, the best thing was when, when the teams used to get together and we used to, you know, try and find the best relay squad to take on, you know, a 4x1, a 4x2 or a medley relay. And that was probably the most kind of rewarding times when, you know, the medley relay would finish off the program or the 4x1 would start it off. And um, I think that it was always very, you know, it's to bring the team together and that's, uh, you know, you come up with a tactic, and and when the plan comes off, it, it was really rewarding. Did you guys ever close the doors and have a a swim off between each other? Yeah, actually, it used to happen quite quite a lot. And you know, for uh, pretty much the the theory is not the theory, but the um, 
you know, the rule on the team is that if you if you qualify on the team, you basically you can put your put your hand up to swim in any relay. So, um, but unfortunately, obviously there is four spots in the heats and then four spots in the final. The top, you know, the top couple swimmers get to choose if they want to swim the heats or not. But um, sometimes if you feel in good enough shape, you can actually put your hand up to do a time trial. And I, you know, I swim a bunch of time trials even when I wasn't selected in those teams when. Well, you know, all, all my personal best times were were done in in relay scenarios. So, I uh, yeah, I, I think the the four by two freestyle relay in Athens, I actually wasn't in the squad. I I ended up doing a time trial, and after one of the heat sessions at the Olympics, and got got a good enough time to be considered, and was was added to the final team. And um, like, unfortunately, we won silver barely, but um, it was you know that those swim of this happen quite regularly on the team. I mean, one of my favourite events was the 100 metre relay in Sydney when you had teammates with Thorpey, Callis and Fowler. Now, Gary Hall was talking a bit of a smack before the event, but you guys killed it. Was Gary talking that much smack give you a little bit of extra motivation? Oh, look, at, to be honest, probably not as, you know, not, not as much as people think. You know, we were aware of the the comments, but we had enough motivation to, or probably we felt the responsibility on the 4 by one freestyle relay team that, you know, we were obviously kicking off the program and we wanted to, to set a good example. And, you know, not very often you get a chance to do that in front of your home crowd in Sydney. Uh, and, you know, we did come up with a tactic. The Americans had never been beaten. They like dominating the event. They normally, you know, start pretty quick and they, you know, basically legged the whole way. And the only way we could try and put them off the game is try and, you know, try and take that lead off them early and then make them over-race a lot of their, their, their legs. And uh, our focus was always to try and finish really strong in the last 15, 20 metres. just seems simple, but try and almost back-end your relay. And uh, we we seemed to be touching first at the right end and they were touching first at the wrong end. So... Um, and that was, you know, the rest is history. I had the, I had a blind. I let off in a world record, and um, yeah, it was probably, uh, you know, we're, what are we? We're nearly 17 years on, and we're still talking about it. So something must have happened. <laughs> Mate, when you broke the world record, did you have a feeling that you did it? I knew I was going pretty quick. I, I was next to Anthony Irvine, who's now a dual Olympic gold medalist. He just won the 53 in Rio, and he's a, you know, an amazing story as well. Uh, obviously won the 53, tied with Gary Hall in Sydney and then came back recently to win it again. But um, he obviously had a lot of speed to burn and when I turned and I was a good three quarters of a body length in front of Anthony, I knew I was in pretty good shape and um, I didn't swim the heat. I hardly warmed up. I was feeling really hot <laughs> that day. And yeah. Um, and yeah, so the funny story is I actually you know touched the wall, recognised the world record and Looked up at Alex Popov, who was the uh, the third swimmer for Russia. I uh, looked up at him, and you know he just gave me the Russian nod. There wasn't not too much expression, and I, you know eclipsed his world record. Fortunately, it didn't stand too long. Um, Peter Van and Hugen Van um, broke that world record in the semi-final uh, in the in the in that Olympics. But um, I can at least I can say that I was the world record holder in the hundred free. Fastest in the world, my man. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> How much did you struggle in terms of injuries at the back end of your career? I know you copped a lot of injuries. Was it a big big factor in 
you you know it was a big factor in you retiring but in terms of the hours of training going from two to three times a day how much time did you have to take off when you retired look i guess you know with this day and age as athletes we tend to focus really on on the things that we could do even when we were injured so you know i had a, a bunch of shoulder operations and i had some shoulder problems in the lead up to those athens games and um actually had a prolapse disease a broken ankle and it's really you know there's you know there's, there's still a lot of things you can do to keep your fitness and keep going but i mean the most debilitating was my was my shoulder um and obviously being a swimmer when you're doing over three thousand four thousand rotations uh of your shoulder a day um you know that was kind of the most debilitating and frustrating men- mentally so what i what i used to do i used to try and come on pool deck still be part of the team kick a lot i used to kick up to you know up to 30 k's a week just with my legs just so i could be amongst the the squad and um so yeah, no. But ultimately, I think injuries really cost me—not cost me, but were probably the main reason why why I finished my swimming career. It was it's frustrating when you know you have the drive and you have the perseverance, everything to um, to get you there. But unfortunately, when your body's not responding or it's breaking down, that became really frustrating and uh, and something that after you know I retired in 2007. So. After 13 years on the team, I just decided it was actually I was becoming cranky, and it was I was it wasn't as enjoyable, you know. But I look, I, I did come back for London, and with a, a completely different mindset and a completely different focus, just trying to see what my body at the age of 35 could achieve, and um, and I, you know, I was quite impressed with my, with my own performance that I could get to the same level as what I retired in 07 with you know having had three kids and running a business and doing all that sort of stuff so just proves to you what what a good work-life balance can uh you know can achieve i want to pick your brain a little bit about your attention to detail because i read about how you used to record your training and the specific little things you used to record can you give us some insights on that yeah i guess it comes back to that to those pillars actually what i was talking about at, at the beginning of the chat about the business currently it's you know, I, I probably wasn't the most talented, the most physically gifted, but I had, I, I kind of had, I guess I had to use what I had, you know, given to me. And one was that sense of purpose, the drive. And I had, you know, I wanted to create that sort of my, you know, the knowledge about my, myself so I could make better, you know, better decisions training wise. So yeah, I used to document pretty much every session. Um, you know, document stroke count, document heart rate, document, you know, splits, etc. just so I could refer to. And it's almost, you know, when you look, and I, when I did those 150 races in that one calendar year, I used to write every, you know, all of them down. And, you know, I guess my, my focus was trying to get to that world record or the, you know, or the, the best swim I could possibly achieve. And it's part of it is visualization. The other one is, you know, I guess learning from, from what you're doing and trying to improve on that. So, yeah, everyone's got a slightly different focus. I want to touch base a little bit on your chosen experience over in Bali. I'm excited what I'm reading so far. Can you give us some more insights? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, spending a fair bit of time in Bali, I also um, I was approached by chosen experiences, um, which basically offer what we call it a lifestyle optimization camp. 
and it is focused around fitness. So we spend basically six days um, training probably, you know, one to two physical sessions a day. Um, but it is a very high-end experience where we have experts and um, contributors from every every field, so experts in, say, CrossFit and swimming if it's myself, um, great chefs, a yoga expert. We've got a we also facilitate two goal-setting sessions. Um, and it's basically, you know, very driven individuals that come and understand the importance of, you know, healthy mind, healthy body, peak performance, you know, so they can perform to the best of their ability in every arena of life. And, you know, it's, and it's bringing those like-minded people together for even a short period of time can really sometimes you know, rejuvenate your own thinking or it can, you know, spark a, a, a you know, a motivation or it can, yeah. you know, it, it really, so basically it's, um, yeah, sometimes, use, you know, those, those sort of driven individuals use it as a holiday. Some people use it as a, um, as a, you know, confidence booster or whatever or break some barriers or change the thinking about potentially themselves or learn as well. So, um, look, I've really enjoyed it. Obviously, it's on my on my doorstep in Bali, and um, you know, enjoy the whole aspect of um, you know training, but you know, learning from other people, sharing your thoughts, and um, and I think being re- you know going to a, almost a retreat kind of environment, it it is it is like almost an intensive course in that in the, all those areas. Yeah, what's the best way for people to actually who are interested to book? Is there an online website? Yeah, absolutely. Just you know, check out chosenexperiences.com and uh, or check out my Instagram, MichaelClim1, and there'll be a, there'll be a link there in my in my bio. Um, we do have a camp kicking off on the first of July, actually not not too long from now, and also another one um, in October. So anyone that's keen, they can uh, just sign up on the website. Fantastic, mate. I'll put them in the show notes. Michael, we have come to the personality part of the interview. I've got a couple of cheeky questions. I'm going to take you back to your childhood. Now, what posters did you have on your childhood wall growing up? Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, Boris Becker, uh, was it uh, Samantha Fox? Ooh. And, and, I, and maybe, I think it might have been Pamela Anderson as well. Oh, mate, I had about 10 of them. You see the common denominator there. <laughs> now, Michael, you're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You have five invites, only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone, dead or alive. Who are you inviting? Oh, God. I always... I don't know. Um, I like Chris Martin. I'm a big Coldplay fan. Coldplay, yep. So I would I would like him. I I think um uh you know I would like to, maybe Bill Clinton. I'd really like to find out what happened in the Oval Office. <laughs> uh, you know I don't know maybe uh, Kate Moss. You know she's uh, I liked her as well growing up. You know maybe Richard Branson could be a good one. You know he seems like a obviously a fun guy that's been able to to make the most of his opportunities. And um, I don't know who else. <laughs> and, yeah, you said no family or friends. No right? family or friends, man. You got one uh, more. Uh, one more. Well, maybe um, maybe we could we should invite the great great heir, Michael Jordan, to come along as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome, mate. Before I let you go, I want everyone out there following Michael. You can find him online at www.milkandco.com.au. On Twitter, he's at Michael Klim AUS. Instagram, he's Michael Klim One. Or Facebook, he's Michael Klim AUS. Now, Michael, final question. Bit of an inspirational one. We're all chasing our dreams, so can you leave us with some words of inspiration for all of us chasing our dreams? I would say, look, it's for me, it comes down to finding the purpose. What is your purpose? So whatever it might be, if it's education or if it's sport or if it's art, it's, if you have that purpose, it creates passion. And if you have passion, you can do anything. It's almost, and then it, it, all those other things flow on. If it's, you know, if you, then you need to build a team or if you need to, you know, whatever it might be, if you need to develop something or I think it's finding your purpose. So, um, you know, and I think it's, yeah, for me that was, that was the key. And then ultimately having a crack at it because I think there's so many people walking around and have some great ideas out there and sometimes just a little bit shy to take that, take that final plunge. So, um, I would say find your purpose and have a go. Clemmy, thanks for stopping by talking with TK. I've had an absolute blast. I wish you all the best for 2017, and let's do this again sometime. Thanks, TK. Appreciate it, mate. And, yeah, to all those listeners, thanks for your support, and uh, give the Milk & Code range a try. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Michael Clem, another bumper one. If you haven't yet, go out and check some of the older episodes. But ahead on the show, we've got Socceroos legend and former captain Paul Wade, as well as Matilda's striker, Kaya Simon. So a bit of an interesting feel. We'll get a bit of an insight into what it really takes to become a professional soccer field, sorry, soccer player on both the male and female side. And two players that come from two different eras. Obviously, Wadey, he was Socceroos captain back in 1993 when we took on Argentina and the great Maradona, while Kaya Simon, she leads the line in the Matildas team today. So she's been to two World Cups, she's been to an Olympic game, so she's quite experienced for someone that's only 25 years old. She made a debut at 16, so it's going to be a great insight into exactly what it took for her to get to the top. Guys, thanks again for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please share it with your family and friends. Tag me. You can find me on social media. I'm at Tristan Cannell on Facebook and Instagram or Trist Cannell Fitness on Twitter. Now, guys, until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK. 